If you're new, we are in a series here called The Anatomy of a Healthy Home. And it's a summer series. We're going to be done here in a couple weeks and then heading into the fall on a new one. And we'll let you know in a couple weeks just what that is as well. But I want to begin by putting some stats on the screen from the Swiss government. It's an old study, but it shows the incredible connection between fathers and faith, and even church attendance. Now, Swiss is a different country, I recognize, but I think the pattern is even consistent when we look at who we are as in the United States, and when you look at the church, it's a little bit older, but again, it just shows. Let me just put some stats on the screen for you. It says this, if both father and mother attend regularly, 33% of their children will end up as a regular church goer, 41% will end up attending casually. Only a quarter of their children will end up not practicing at all. The second one, if a father is irregular and a mother is regular, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regulars themselves, while a further 59% will become irregular. 38% will be lost. Let me give you the third one. If the father is non-practicing and the mother regular, only 2% of the children will become regular worshipers. And 37% will attend irregular. Over 60% of the children will walk away from the church. And you go, ouch. But let me show you in a quote that was in that article as well, another stat. Look at this one. What happens if the father is regular, but the mother irregular or non-practicing? Amazingly, the percentage of children becoming regular goes up from 33% to 38% with the irregular mother and up to 44% with a non-practicing mom. This suggests that the loyalty to the father's commitment grows in response to the mother's laxity or indifference to religion. And you go, wow. It's really quite stunning. If a father goes to church regularly, irregardless of what mom does, something impacts the children spiritually. Now, one of the theories that they stated in the article was this. They believe that children, when they're younger, especially take their cues about domestic things from mom. But when it comes to a worldview, and they would put faith in terms of that worldview, they, they, they would look at that and go, that comes from dad. See, dads make a difference in the home and the picture of when you talk about a healthy home. Now, um, here's a challenge. You can look at those stats and, man, we can get discouraged. Moms, you can even get discouraged. But here's what I got to remind you of just to begin with. God's grace is active, and God works in spite of the statistics. Matter of fact, even today, the text we're going to use, a couple verses, points to a grandma and a mom working in such a way, it was Timothy, working in Timothy's life, where he becomes a giant in the faith. 
Dad was not, in, was not in the picture. But folks, God is in the business of making exceptions and going doing all kinds of exceptions when it comes to faith. But the challenge, I think, is here today as we speak to even fathers. It's easy to move toward guilt. And, and here's where I feel like I just need to stop and pray for us that are dads and grandfathers that God would give us courage. So would you just bow with me? And I want to pray here to begin here. Father, um, th- this is a bit of a hard topic even when we look at fathering and what it means in the home. So Lord, would you give us, especially of us that are fathers, courage? And, and help us to understand what it means of how much it impacts our children in terms of faith. So would you allow your spirit just to nudge us, to pull us toward what you desire, what you want for us. So give us courage, not discouragement today. And we want to trust you in that. Two verses. Uh, verse Chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And look how it reads. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I need to say something. In terms of if you look at the meaning of the text, this does go beyond fathers. Well, I'm going to press it on terms of fatherhood. If you're single, if you're married, don't have kids, if wherever you're at, young, old, if you're middle school, high school, this applies to you as well. This really is for all of us in that context. But dads, we're going to talk about the traits that need to be in our lives that make a difference, that drive toward a healthy home. If you've got a bulletin, there's an outline in there if you want to fill in the blanks here. So let me give that first one, number one, for your notes. Traits of an influential father. A father who spiritually influences the home is an, an encourager. He's an encourager. Now, where do I get that from? That first phrase, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he uses this phrase, but as for you, O man of God... Timothy is younger here. He's probably in his 20s, somewhere in this vicinity. But he begins with this this phrase that is deep encouragement to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I see God working in you. Something's happening in your life. God is changing you. So fathers, let me ask you a question. When you see your sons and your daughters... Being changed by God. Do you encourage that? Do you affirm it? Now, I'm not talking about just phony affirmation. That you sit down with them and say, and point out specifically, where is God working in your life? I don't know if you realize that there is something that we get from our fathers called the blessing. I first learned about this at Promise Keepers years and years ago at a conference. And it's this idea that the father can speak something, especially into his sons, uh, about the idea of becoming a man. And it kind of goes like this, where the dad somewhere, kind of, it doesn't have to be the exact phrase, but, but 
the son feels it and says this, son, you're now, you're becoming a young man and I'm beginning to respect you. It does something for a man, the manhood of a young man. And, and by the way, there's a blessing that a dad gives a daughter as well. But think of this in the spiritual realm with sons and daughters where a father gives a blessing to his children and say, I see God working in your life. Do we do that as fathers? You know, I, I never did receive that blessing from my dad in any sense or no spiritual blessing. But I do know this, that dads, as, as their kids get older, there's a switch that takes place. They, they look more as they're younger to the mom, and all of a sudden they hit that, you know, 10, 11, 12, and there's a shift that goes, I want something from the father, from dad. So dads, spiritual encouragement for us. It gives our children hope for the future. And here's where I think I need to challenge you. Take them out on a date. Go out for a cup of coffee or Coke or a hamburger or breakfast and point out to them when you see God working in their lives. I I can picture Timothy getting this letter from Paul. Oh, man of God. And I think what would have happened is head would have gone up, his shoulders back, and he goes, I was just blessed by the Apostle Paul. See, we can, dads, we can do that with our children. But let me keep going here because there's another trait. There's this phrase that says, flee these things. Number two for your notes. A father who spiritually influences the home avoids the world's definition of success. Runs away, flees the definition of success. Now, where do I get that from? It actually comes from the context, goes to verse 6. And I want to put that on the screen for you. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall in the temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The world wants to define what is success for us. And I think at the center of it is money. And what money can do and provide. You know, Scripture tells us that we cannot serve God and money. That phrase, money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not just a few. Many kinds of evil. And I think the reality is, is there's really no middle ground when it comes to money and success and the kingdom. Either we're stuck in defining what the world wants for success and that's centered around money and the things that we have, or we're working for the kingdom of God. We're using the money for God's purposes. Do we realize that as he gives, by the way, if you drove here today, you're considered rich, okay, comparatively speaking around the world. But do we recognize as God gives us the gifts of even our money that we are called to be stewards with it? 
helping expand the kingdom, growing the bride of Christ, the church, helping some of the needs of the poor and the needy who need help. See, are we committed to use our money stewarding in such a way for the glory of God, to make his name famous? We are called to flee, to become tight-fisted with our money, money money-focused, and all the things that he gives. That, by the way, that word flee is a very strong word. See, Paul knows the incredible power that money has over the rich. But recognize something. You do not have to have money to actually be stuck in this issue. Poor people are also stuck in wanting money. They can be consumed with money without having money. You know, when they do um, surveys as to where people buy lotto tickets, do you know that poor neighborhoods far outnumber richer neighborhoods? They're stuck. I can get that money. Now, there is, where it comes, and it's about the same, is when the lotto grows into those hundreds of millions of dollars, that's when the rich people begin to buy tickets. I don't know why, but uh, still losing their money. But do we understand that? God wants to change us in our definition of success. Let me keep going here. We're to flee that. And now he comes into a phrase, look, verse 11. But pursue, run toward righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Let me give you number three. A father who spiritually influences the home pursues a life-changing relationship with God. Now again, though, this applies to all of us here, young, old, We are to run away from the world stuff and run and pursue God and these qualities that he lists here for us. You know, back to the stats. Dads, your regular church attendance makes a difference in the life of your children. And and here's where I, I think we try to ignore this issue because I think if the attitude is like this, I really don't need the church. Do you realize what we're really saying? Jesus loves the church. And if we're saying we don't need what Jesus loves, there's a contradiction if we say that we're pursuing a relationship with God. We are called to move toward Him. But it's written in such a way that it gives these qualities. But they are connected, all of them are connected to our relationship with our Father in heaven. The first one there, righteousness. This is the broadest of all of the categories of the virtues. It's defined as this, giving both to men and to God their due. See, a righteous man gives his due to Christ, his love, his obedience, his passions, his energy. It recognizes that Jesus is Lord of our lives. It recognizes that we are his children, and God longs for a relationship with us. But look at three more virtues here that he builds on this relationship. That word godliness there. 
Here's what one commentary said. I really like what he said. I think it's accurate. It means to be aware that all life is lived in the presence of God. As we walk through this world, there's this reality that we know that we are that God is all around us and he wants to be active in our lives in every circumstance. That's godliness. And he wants us to pursue him in every circumstance. The next word, though, there, pursue faith. Now, this particular faith, it literally means fidelity. Fidelity. You could say devotion, or maybe better yet, loyalty to another person. Loyal to God himself. The next one. Pursue love. This is agape love, by the way. Agape love is a little different than friendship love in that it means that we're able to begin to love a person just because, not based on how good they are at all. We begin to love them with no strings attached and don't assume anything is going to come back. We're to pursue that kind of love. Remember the picture of it? Willing to lay down our lives for another is the picture. That's how God loves us. He gave us his son to lay down his life for us. Pursue love. Then we come to a couple of other qualities. These are a little bit different in that they're the consequences of those, that relationship that we have with Christ. And and the first one there is steadfastness. It means this, victorious endurance. Victorious endurance. There's an unwavering faith. Faith doesn't go up and down. There's a consistency that when adversity comes, and when suffering comes, there's a consistency where you not only accept it, but you actually pursue and use it for the glory of God. It's not not just saying, okay, it is what it is. No, you take the circumstances and you ask the question, how do I use it for God's glory? When the hard things come. I remember reading an article by John Piper a number of years ago where he he talked about the issue of cancer, and he wrote an article titled, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Pretty interesting, isn't it? We can waste those hard circumstances. But then we come to this word gentleness. Pursue gentleness. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was doing a campfire at home down in Brainerd at my place there. And... um, um, I'm not a great fire starter, okay? So there's this can called lighter fluid that I tend to use when I start my fires. I'll put the paper underneath and get the sticks going, you know, and then I'll light the paper. But if you put lighter fluid, you know, in a paper cup, you know, and, and then kind of just throw it on the fire, do you know what you get? This nice, poof, it just kind of blows up on you a little bit. I don't use gasoline, by the way. Lighter f- fire doesn't quite explode quite like that. But, but understand this, the anger, some people's anger is like that lighter fluid going onto the fire. 
immediately there's an eruption. The flash. Gentleness is the opposite of that. When circumstances you can't control come into play, maybe it's, it's this, that you keep the lighter fluid in the bottle and you keep the lid on. It just doesn't flash. And at what takes place in that moment, one is quick to forgive in gentleness. One is willing to walk by humility in gentleness and still be confident that God is working. Now, you've got to hear something. Gentleness is not about getting run over. I, I think we think of gentle people and getting run over. That is not so. Or even where it's people-pleasing. Some people look at themselves as gentle, but they're just pleasing people. That's not it at all. Matter of fact, that's weakness. Now, gentleness is a certainty that God is in control and, and one can be gracious with it. It flows out of it. But see, all of those qualities are rooted in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's got to be the one instilling them. The fruit of the Spirit has to be poured, poured into our lives. But we come to another application, a fourth one. Number four, let me state it this way. A father who spiritually influences the home is willing to fight the flesh for the sake of the future. Fight the flesh. Now, let me show you verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called forward thinking but that word fight actually is an athletic term and with that athletic term it it would come training being intentional getting actually ready for the battle and for the fight now last week if you weren't here I addressed the issue of the flesh and as how we parent with both our kids flesh and with our flesh the flesh is that disposition that wants life centered around us it's the selfishness that sometimes reigns in our lives, in our souls, and there's this battle within us that pulls us toward selfishness and about me. Matter of fact, I, I didn't use this verse last week, but I want to show you how this fits. Look at James chapter 4. I use this in marriage counseling all of the time. Look what it, how it reads. What is the cause of conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to satisfy and obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain because uh, what you want because you don't ask God for it. And if you ask, you don't receive it. For you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own desires. So think of any battle. You could start with our children. You could start with our spouses. If there's a fight or or other people involved, when something is thrown at us that we don't like, do you realize that immediately inside that flesh is actually the bowels deep within us, there's a battle going on as to what should come out and what should be said. 
So I have, if I have yeah, those t- times when I'd have arguments with my children, and if words came out that were hurtful, understand this, I lost the battle on the inside, the fight with the flesh. And I did it plenty of times. See, there's a something within us with this idea of the flesh that we need God in the midst of that battle before it even gets to our relationship on the outside. See, the question, are we willing to stop at that moment when the turmoil comes within us because it happens, folks, so quick? Are we willing to pray and ask God, what do you want? What are the words that need to come out of my mouth, God, right now if somebody said something harsh? See, last week we talked about keeping step with the Spirit. The Spirit needs to walk and, and nudge us and poke us and say, Ken, don't, you don't use those words. Words of encouragement versus words of death. See, do we choose at those moments, though, to walk by the Spirit, to fight that battle, recognizing it matters in our homes and our families? And, and think of the things when, we're th- when they're thrown at us. What if bad news of health comes along? What does the flesh want to do? Anger. Blame. Or what about your your work situation where the decision you make goes from bad to worse? And the the flesh all of a sudden takes over, and what do we want to do? Or what about if you're a student, when a teacher begins to ridicule about faith and Jesus? Inside, we have this turmoil. What do we do? Or when doubts come, when fears come, when selfish motives come, are we willing to stop and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me walk toward Jesus at that moment? You know, this idea of fighting actually has courage and being courageous written all over it. I I think of Romans 8, 27. We are more than conquerors. See, this isn't just accepting. We are conquerors, and God wants to help us conquer those things. Now, is the fight worth it? And I go, fathers, it is. It is. Why? It's because the battle now makes a difference toward the future. Toward the future. The future spiritual lives of our children, our grandchildren, So there is a spiritual fight within every home that as we fight and we battle, we're looking, we do it now because of what's coming in the the forward years. The easy way, guys, is to settle for spiritual mediocrity. And you go, that does no good for our children. Now, again, I got to come back and go, everyone here, do you see how this applies to us? At work, situations, our marriages. See, this isn't just the dads as well. But it's for the now. It's what about the future? Let, let me ask a question. What do you want for your home in terms of your marriage out three, four years from now? Would you want it better than it is now? Decisions that we do now impact three, four, five, six years out. For our children, 
Dads, realize that what you're doing now in the spiritual realm have the ability to influence 5, 10, and 15 years into the future. Are we ready to fight the battle in doing that? But let me dig at another phrase here. Verse 12. You made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now here's what I said for the application number five. A father who spiritually influences the home has a growing faith, look at this one, that is noticed by others. Witnesses. The word witness can testify about. Now, now here, there's a couple of ideas, and I was digging through some of the commentaries. One of the beliefs here is that this witness was about public baptism for Timothy. Now, understand that culture, the church was, there was persecution, all of the junk that was going on. Christianity was a minority. There was lots of Christians that would get killed. But when you got baptized, you understand this, there were witnesses that were watching both that believed and unbelieved, and they would go to a local river. And it would Oftentimes, they'd be washing clothes there. They'd be getting their drinking water there. They didn't have a lot of times all the wells, but they would get baptized there. And as they came out of the water, it was a symbolic of going, I am walking with Jesus. Baptism's in many ways like a marriage ceremony. We're, we're putting on a, ringer, a ring for Jesus and saying, I'm a follower of you. So some believe that this is Timothy's understanding where, where he got baptized. But I'm not so sure because earlier in the chapter, there's some verses that talked about, as, as Paul writes to him about leadership, and I think maybe it's this, that there is an affirmation that Timothy, with other people, that Timothy is becoming a man of God. And I want to show you a, t- a passage that's earlier in the letter where Paul is explaining to Timothy about leadership. Look how it goes. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This is the, the qualities of an elder. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, the word, that's the word elder there. He desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect him and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Timothy had a reputation with Paul, but I believe it went way beyond Paul as well with other godly people. He was watched. Even Timothy was watched. People were making observations about him and his faith. Do you realize that every one of us in this room has a reputation? Do we know that? In, in my home, my kids have a reputation about me. They have things that they believe. My wife 
See, I, I think we, we, we forget this, and some of, you, some of us want to go, I just, I don't want that. I don't want that on my life, so I'm just going to go up and live in the woods, go to my hunting shack, and just avoid all people. But even doing that, you've just gained a reputation as being a recluse, avoiding people. That person avoids people. Every one of us has a reputation. Every one of us. But Dad, maybe more pointedly here for you, do you want your children to grow up and model you? You. Or are we subtly giving the message to our kids this? Model that person over there. You know, the youth guy or the youth leader to our daughters, we're going, you know, model her over there. You see, I think we can brush off the issue of modeling to our kids and say, I'm not perfect, so therefore, just find another model, an example. And I go, something is wrong with that belief. See, why wouldn't we want our children to look at us and say that, that's my dad. And you know what? He is a godly leader in the home. He's respected by people at church and by where he works. Why wouldn't we want that as fathers? I don't know if you realize it, verse 1. Let me just quote it to you again. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, where there's a desire within them, he desires an honorable position, an elder. It's, it's talking about elders, but, but here's the question toward us that are fathers. Why wouldn't a husband and a father want to aspire to those qualities as an elder? I look at them and go, wouldn't that matter for our kids? See, guys, are we complacent where we're at now in terms of our spiritual place where we're at, in terms of our health, spiritual health? Let me give you a couple questions just to challenge you. In your notes, a couple key questions for men. The first one is this. Who are the close men in your life that are spiritual witnesses of your life? Men who know you well enough. They can look and they can describe what your marriage is like. They can look and go, you know, they're engaged with their kids, spiritually speaking. See, see, you look at the, you understand the qualities here of an elder or deacon. People see it. But who have you taken the wall down so that they at least know who you are? Now, I did one of the sermons where you talked about a mouse in the corner. I want to go back and review that. See, our wives do if we're married. Our children, they know. They know where we're at. But why wouldn't we aspire and want somebody to know another man? Because it leads to a second question here. Who are the men in your life that are active in forming your spiritual future? 
who are investing in your life. And, and ladies, it would be the same. This principle would apply to you as well. Who are pointing you with wisdom toward God. Influencing you. And they're speaking not just the good things. Because here's, I, I think, what happens when we think of friendships. We look at friends and we go, I want friends that will affirm me. But please stay away from the junk in my life. That's the easy way. See, the question is, as they look at us, are are we learners? Are we being teachable, coming under his authority? Are we willing to give the authority to another person that will actually point out the junk in our lives? Yeah, we want them to affirm us, and I think they would. But are we allowing people in that might need to rebuke? Let me show you a passage that fits with this. Look at Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. If you're a man, you've probably heard this somewhere. But when you take two irons and trying to sharpen, do you know what happens? Sparks. There's some heat. It's not always simple and fun. See, are we willing to allow other people into our lives to journey with us, to help us, See, I think that's a hard question for men. Men aren't typical going to that kind of level. I want friends that will encourage me and hunt with me. But willing to point out what you just said to your wife was so hurtful. Do you know that? Do we allow somebody in to do that? And, and guys, let me, as you, some of you that are older, man, and depending on where your adult kids are at, Some of you need to actually allow your adult children into your life as they get older to speak toward you. You know, I'll be honest, one of my, my son has spoken hard things to me. And I got to respect him for that. Does it add some fire and friction sometimes? The answer is yes. But who do we allow in? I want to end with a quote. Look at what this says. I, I came across it this week, and I go, this is really quite profound. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Now, let me just twist one little twist on it. Show me your friends, and I will show you your spiritual future. That's true, folks. That's true, But that's true of all of us here. If you're younger, if you're middle school, high school, show me your friends. I will show you where you're headed right now. See, who's pushing you to present you farther complete in Christ? Do you have those friends in your life? If you're college, do you have those friends in your life? Adults, grandparents, do we have those people in our lives that are walking with us? to push us, to encourage us, to present us complete in Christ. So, Dads, though, your movement toward Christ matters profoundly in the future of your families and your kids. Become courageous. Figure out what it means to become a man of God. Become an encourager to your children. 
take the time to speak into their life words of affirmation when you see spiritual change. Be willing to fight the battle against the flesh and walk in step with the Spirit and aspire to be a man who leads the home and models that leadership well in the home. Let's stand and pray.